open our Bibles to Exodus chapter 21. Exodus chapter 21. As you're finding your place there, we're going to be looking at verses 12 through 27. And I have to say, as you are finding your place in your Bible, that my commitment to expository preaching, that is going systematically through books of the Bible, gets me into what I would call some difficult passages of Scripture. And so if I was just asked to go preach at a church or a meeting, this would not be my go-to text to go to. But every word of God is inspired by God and is profitable for us. And so, uh, on an evening like this, I figure that we can get into the meat of the word a little bit and we can slow our pace down and take a look at it. Uh, God did follow human literary paradigms when he inspired his word because he was communicating with humans. And so it is written in sentences and paragraphs and has verbs and nouns and all of that stuff. And so this section begins in verse 12 and really ends in verse 27. And you will find that there are two repeating themes that, that parallel each other in these verses that you might want to look for. One is the word smite or smiteth. And then the other is put to death. And you're going to see this repeated in this section of Scripture. And so let's read uh, Exodus 21, verses 12 through 27, and take a look at the law for smiting. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall be surely put to death. And if a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place whither he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. And he that smiteth his father or his mother shall be surely put to death. And he that stealeth a man and selleth him, or he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. And he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And if men strive together, and one smite another with a stone or with his fist, and he die not but keepeth his bed, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time and shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished. Notwithstanding, if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his money. If men strive and hurt a woman with child, so that her fruit depart from her, and yet no mischief follow, he shall be surely punished, according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out his man servant's tooth or his maid servant's tooth, 
He shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. Let's pray. Oh Lord, it is our sincere desire to understand your word. Lord, to uh, properly dissect it and discern it. And then to apply it to our lives. Father, I pray that you'll lead us and guide us this evening as we look into this ancient law code that was divinely inspired, that we might understand some things about you, your character, and your sense of justice. I also pray that we would also see that this divine law carries over uh, in areas of our lives today. Help me, Lord, to be a clear and concise interpreter of your word this evening. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen few things to take note of as we begin looking at this text, just kind of from a context standpoint, I would say to you that this passage of Scripture is evidence of God's care for His people. You say, why is this section of Scripture in here where God gets so detailed about what happens if somebody smites or hits or injures or kills somebody else with their hands or with a weapon. And he gives all of these different scenarios, many of them uh, that end in capital punishment. Why is this in here? And first and foremost, I would say it's evidence of God's care for his people because God is speaking to a nation. It is the nation of Israel. There are millions of people who are going to have to coexist and cohabit one with another in the same land. And the default human nature of sin is going to mean that there's going to be conflict there at points. There's going to be crime at points. There's going to be accidents, but there are also going to be intentional injuries at points. And so God is not leaving his people to simply try and govern themselves or to live in an anarchical society, but he is giving them divine law and legal code and civil law with specific details of guidance for the circumstances that are sure to come. Right? Mankind has dreamed of a utopian society since they left the garden and it's never happened, and it's never been achieved. In fact, uh, I read once that somebody said, you know, if we could just gather all the good people inside of one area and then build walls around the city, uh, all we would do is we would fence in all the criminals, right? Because, because we are the problem, and we have conflicts. And so God cares for his people, and so that he gives them some divine guidance and law and protocol that they can follow when something like this happens. I would also say that this is an example of God's sense of justice. God is just. The Bible tells us that. But what does that mean? Well, God gives you an example of his justice system here. There are crimes and there are penalties. There are punishments for wrongdoing. And God differentiates uh, between the punishments and the crimes and the degrees but there is a display of God's justice here. And so I would say to you that God is just and God is giving us an example of his justice and that you and I can have our faith built in the fact that God is just and as a just God, he will issue punishment to crimes. Whether it be in this life or in the next, 
Justice will be served. And so, if we're going to order our society in a godly way, then we have to respect justice and have a sense of justice. Furthermore, it also recognizes human rights. And so as we read this text of Scripture, we can't help but notice that God is speaking about human beings. He's speaking about men. He's speaking about women. He's speaking about free men and women. He's speaking about indentured men and women. He is speaking to all of those elements, and he is establishing that there are human rights. You can't go around just punching people in the face and expect that it's okay. You can't go around and just take out your anger and aggression on somebody else and invade their personal space and their personal rights and get by with it. And so God has given us these fundamental human rights that are to be respected by other humans and when they are not there is to be a third party punishment for it and to a further degree it recognizes human dignity human dignity because even in this list when it speaks about servants those people who were bond servants who were sold into slavery not abducted into slavery but they were sold into it because of a debt or they sold themselves whatever the circumstance was we talked about that a few weeks ago how that's different than the the more recent slavery that we have uh, experience with god establishes human dignity that even a person in that situation has human rights and is to be treated as a human being and not as an animal or a piece of property. And so just the very fact that that this text is in here gives us some insight into God, His justice, the human rights that He's given, the human dignity that is to be respected. I pointed out to you two words or a word and a phrase. The one word was smite, the other was put to death. I I would tell you that according to Webster's dictionary, smite is never applied to the destruction of life by poison, by accident, or by legal execution. And so the word that is being used here for smite is the idea of somebody using their hand or an implement in their hand to strike someone else. That's what God is talking about when he is talking about smiting. The first issue that is addressed is the issue of murder, taking someone else's life in verses 12 through 14. He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. There's the standard. You take somebody's life, you're going to be put to death. But in verses 13 and 14, there are some details about that law that speak about the degrees of it. If a man lie not in wait, but God deliver him into his hand, then I will appoint thee a place where he shall flee. But if a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor to slay him with guile, thou shalt take him from mine altar that he may die. So verses 12 through 14 go together, and it is speaking about murder or taking a life. We find in verse 12 what we would call manslaughter. A life is taken. As you think about our own judicial or legislative code and judicial system, we have degrees when it comes to murder. Manslaughter is, uh, is when you take someone else's life, but it was not 
premeditated murder. So if you are driving down the road and you cross the line and you strike another vehicle and that person dies because of that, then you would be found guilty of manslaughter. And so God says the, the punishment for that is, is to be put to death for manslaughter. But then he goes on and he says in verse 13 that if a person is not lying in wait, that is that, that they, they accidentally injure somebody to death, that there was a place that they could go, later it will be identified as a city of refuge, where they could go there until the authorities could investigate it and determine whether it was an accidental death, an involuntary manslaughter situation, or if that it was something that was purely manslaughter, and either they would get a lighter sentence or they would be put to death. And then the third degree is that of premeditated murder. If a man come presumptuously upon his neighbor with guile. This is one neighbor has gotten ticked off at the other neighbor and he is going to do him in. And he has thought about it and he has planned it. And that is his intention is to do harm. And he goes and does that. Then there is no, no city of refuge for them. If they run to the altar and cling to it and they are found to be guilty of premeditated murder. You drag them from the altar and you take them and you execute them now again the execution is to be carried out by a third party God instituted government for the punishment of evildoers and he does not he does not endorse retaliation but he does endorse justice that there is an unbiased third party who investigates and judges and executes these things verses 15 and 17 speak about uh, parents and children's relationship and, uh, and obviously these are uh, grown children or, or uh, teenage children. But verse 15, he that smiteth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. Verse 17, he that curseth his father or his mother shall surely be put to death. And you say, boy, that is harsh. That's harsh. Well, uh, God is establishing justice and God is establishing authority. The first place that human beings are to learn the order of authority is in the home. God has given the parents the right to rule their children, to oh, teach their children, to command their children. And so God puts a high standard on the home that if there is a child who, who smites their parents, parental abuse, God said that's punishable by death, and it even went a step further in verse 17 that if they were cursing their parents that they could be put to death. Now, that's an extreme situation. Uh, we don't find uh, an example of that. We do find some more clarity about uh, the same law that a child could be put to death. But again, we're not talking about an eight-year-old. Uh, we're talking about a child that, that is nearing adulthood but is still under their parents house and rule and so God gives this law because it's connected to the Ten Commandments children were to obey their parents honor father and mother that your days may be long upon the earth and as you think about it this is fundamental because if we have this breakdown in authority here where children are not learning to obey their God-given authority of mom and dad 
then they are going to grow up to be dissidents and disobedient and delinquent citizens in society who don't recognize God-given authority there. If they don't learn the weight of justice at an early age when the consequences are small, then they risk getting to adulthood where the consequences are greater and the penalty is higher for their actions. Think about it. I mean, if you tell your children not to do something in the house and they do it and you say justice has to be served, you're, you're going to suffer a penalty for this, whether it is a, a spanking or whether it is uh, the removal of a privilege or whatever it may be, you're teaching them some justice. If you break this code, then there's a penalty to follow. And that's a small code and that's a small penalty. But what happens if we don't teach them that at that age and they get up to the age in our society where they can operate a motor vehicle And nobody has taught them the consequences of that. And they go out driving recklessly and they take somebody's life. There are major consequences to pay there. And so God understands this. And God gives this law that there was to be a a harsh law for children who would rebel to that degree against their parental authority. You might disagree with it. All I can say to you is you'll have to take it up with God when you get to heaven because it's in the Bible. Verse 16 has to do with abduction, slavery, and human trafficking. And so verse 16 says that if a person steals a man and sells them or if they steal them and they found to be with them before they can sell them, that that person who stole another shall surely be put to death. And so we've got a lot of categories that fall under this. Kidnapping is one. Slavery is another. Right? That, that, that is where our history of slavery comes from, that people were literally stolen from their homeland and sold into slavery. If God's law would have been practiced, that would have never happened. But how about this? We've got a problem today called human trafficking. And you know what God's justice system says about that? A person who's caught doing that doesn't deserve jail, doesn't deserve an opportunity uh, for parole. They deserve a death sentence. Why? Because you were going to rob that person of their life. You were going to strip them from their home. You were going to sell them into some sort of servitude. And Sadly, today it is sex trafficking that is the most heinous crime. As a matter of fact, if you start to look up statistics, you will find that those are shocking statistics. That, that They estimate that there are thousands of people who are trafficked up and down 81 and 77. That Supposedly, that Whitfield, that there is much human trafficking that passes through there because of those crossroads of interstates. It is mind-blowing to me to think that there is that underbelly of our society where that thing is happening regularly in our country. Let me tell you, if the penalty were death, then there would be less of it. And so I'm telling you, you cannot improve upon God's legal code. You might disagree with it, but you cannot improve upon it. 
Verses 18 and 19 have to do if a person smites someone else and there is a long-term injury, it doesn't result in death, but there is a long-term injury, then God's justice code for that is that that person be compensated for their lost time. You see that in verse 18, if he rise again and walk abroad upon his staff, then shall he that smote him be quit. That is, he's not guilty of murder. He's not going to suffer the death penalty. Only he shall pay for the loss of his time. And it goes on to say that he shall cause him to be thoroughly healed. And so if someone injures someone else to the point where the, the injured person can't work, they can't perform their regular duties, they are off of their feet for a while, then the person who smote them has to compensate them for their time, their loss of income, and they have to do it until they are fully recovered. I tell you, one of the great injustices in life is when people get maimed because of the neglect or harm or aggression of someone else. And the person has a small penalty that they pay or a small amount of time that they do in jail while the other person lives with a lifetime of pain and injury and disability. And so God makes laws and he gives them to his people because he wants them to understand that not only is there human dignity and human rights, but listen, there are consequences to your actions and you've got to maintain a measure of self-control. You can't just go around smiting people, hitting people, blowing up on people uh, when you get the will and the whim to do so. Verses 20 and 21 deal with issues of people who are in servitude. And so this is not an endorsement of servitude. God is not endorsing it. You and I have to understand that when we read the Old Testament... It, not everything is prescription. That is, God, it's not that God's prescribing that, that they practice slavery. Some of it is description. This is what is going on. And so here's how you handle these circumstances. What's the alternative? Not say anything about it or give them some instructions because God knew that there was going to be situations like this. So verse 20 and 21, if a man smite his servant or his maid with a rod and he die under his hand, he shall be surely punished, notwithstanding if he continue a day or two, he shall not be punished for he is his money. It also goes down into verses 26 and 27, speaking in the same vein. Uh, it says, And if a man smite the eye of his servant or the eye of his maid that it perish, he shall let him go free for his eye's sake. And if he smite out the manservant's tooth or the maidservant's tooth, he shall let him go free for his tooth's sake. And so I, I would just point out to you that even though God made a law concerning how to treat these servants, they were never allowed to abuse them. That was never, ever acceptable. It wasn't that these people who were in servitude were beaten and whipped every single day and abused. And God said if they abused their servant, their servant died, there was a penalty that came along with that. If they hit their servant and they knocked the tooth out, that they, by law, had to set that servant free because of the repayment for the loss of the tooth or the loss of the eye. Servants were not to be abused, and, and, and those who were masters could be punished for abusing their servants. And then we have a very significant section in this text in verses 22 through 25 
that talks about the basic code of justice. And it speaks about it in the context of a pregnant woman. And so when we read this, you and I have to understand that this code of justice applies to both the mother and the baby in the womb. And so it says in verse 22, if men strive and hurt a woman with child, a woman that is pregnant, so that her fruit depart from her, so that she is sent into labor and she gives birth, and yet no mischief follow. There's no lasting injury. There's no death that comes from that. He shall be surely punished according as the woman's husband will lay upon him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. And so if two men are striving, they accidentally injure a woman who is pregnant, and there is no harm that is done to the woman or the child, then there is a punishment that is exacted, but it is not uh, a life. It is not a death sentence. However... It goes on and says in verse 23, And if any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. So again, if two men are fighting and they injure a pregnant woman, and there is a loss of life, whether it is the mother's life or the life of the child in the womb, the people who caused the injury would have to pay for it with their life. And if there was a burn, then they would pay with a burn. If there uh, was a loss of an eye, then they would lose an eye. A loss of a tooth, they would lose a tooth. What is that? That is the basic code of justice. When we talk about justice, justice is an equal punishment for the crime. And so if the crime took a life, the punishment is you give a life. If the crime took an eye, the punishment is you give an eye. If the crime took a hand, then the punishment is you give a hand. And while we have a judicial system in the United States of America today, I would say that we have drifted pretty far from true justice. As there are many people who have um, enacted crimes and perpetrated crimes against other people who did not get the punishment that the crime deserves. I understand not wanting to inflict pain on somebody else. I understand that great responsibility that comes with the person who sits at the bench and is the one who makes the ruling for the laws. But that is why God gave the law in Exodus 21. So Moses, Aaron, her, Joshua, they didn't have to sit around and try to figure out what do we do in this scenario. God says, I'll tell you what to do. Here is the law, and all you have to do is follow it. And for those who violate the law, here is the penalty of the law. You carry that out. And so I, I believe that God has given us a baseline of justice. I believe that God has taught us about human rights, human dignity, and that as believers in God, we ought to have a real sense of justice. And that that sense of justice ought to guide us in our own lives as human beings and citizens. Now, you might ask, well, why does this matter to me, Justin? That's interesting, I guess, violent, uh, to say the least. 
but, but why would it really matter to me today in, in this century, in this country, we've got our laws and we've got all of this. And, and I, I would just direct you to the New Testament. There's two passages of Scripture I want you to see. One is in John chapter 18, and the other is in Acts 23. One of the tools of Bible study is called cross-reference. So if I'm studying a text about smiting, one of the things I want to do is look in my concordance and see where else God has talked about smiting. Now we've got a few other places in, in the Old Testament, in Exodus, but we're going to get to those in time. But in the New Testament, you only find a couple of places where the word smiting is used. And I think there's a, an important lesson that can be drawn from it. And so the first is in John chapter 18, verses 19 through 23, and it involves Jesus. And Jesus has been falsely detained, falsely accused uh, of crimes that he did not commit. He was never found guilty. He was innocent, as we know. And yet, it says that he was smitten. In John 18, verse 19, it says, The high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine. Jesus answered him, I spake openly to the world. I ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple, whether the Jews always resort and in secret have I said nothing. Why askest thou me? Ask them which heard me what I have said unto them. Behold, they know what I said. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil, but if well, why smitest thou me? There's the word. There's the word. What's the lesson? Well, let me take you to another passage before I dive into that. Let's go to Acts chapter 23. Acts chapter 23. This time it is the Apostle Paul who has been arrested. Again, he's falsely accused, right? He was accused of bringing Gentiles into the temple. He did no such thing. Uh, they took him out. They were about to rip him apart. The Roman guards had to come in and drag him out of there. There was some confusion. They thought that he was uh, some sort of riot leader. And when they figured out that he wasn't, he was being brought before the council of the Jews and being accused of things. And, and notice in Acts 23, verse number 1, And Paul, earnestly beholding the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded them that stood by him to smite him on the mouth. Then said Paul unto him, God shall smite thee, thy whited wall, for sittest thou to judge me after the law, and commandest me to be smitten contrary to the law. You see, that's interesting. We have this entire text in Exodus 21 that gives us the law for smiting and the punishment that comes for that. 
But in the New Testament, it actually has to do with those people who are supposed to be carrying out the justice, doing the smiting. And in both of those New Testament scenarios, do you recognize what happened? Those who were in authority, who abused their power, were called out by Jesus and by Paul. Why smitest thou me contrary to the law? Now, I'm not going to give you my opinions, but I'm going to say this to you. You and I who are believers in Christ, who have the Spirit of God dwelling in us, and the law that was once written on tables of stone are now engraved in the fleshy tables of our heart, have an insight into God's divine justice. And as students of the Word, we recognize what are human rights and what are human dignities. And there is also something in us that ought to recognize when those things are being abused, whether it is by the citizenship or by the government, and that we have a God-given right to stand up and to speak up and to call injustice, injustice, wherever it may be found. And I don't think that I'm stretching it too far. As I said, I'm not going to give you all of my opinions. There are many things I could insert right here uh, that, uh, that I have opinions about. But what is not an opinion is the fact that both Jesus and Paul called out the governmental authorities for their abuse of power and overreach in those situations. And so I believe that as Christians we have that right and even that responsibility to challenge things that are injustices because we live by a higher law. We live by God's divine law. That's what Paul and Jesus recognized and appealed to when their governmental law abused their power. And so before I get on a stump and begin giving my political speech, I'm going to let the Holy Spirit quiet me down right there and just say that you and I don't have the right to smite other people and they don't have the right to smite us. And it doesn't matter, it doesn't matter what role they stand in if it's unjust. It's unjust for the citizen or for the government. And so let God be our guide and let us be salt and light in our society when God gives us the opportunity to be so. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I do thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, for the minute details that are recorded in it that address such specific issues like this. And then go on to give us an application that really applies to where we find ourselves today. Lord, we understand that no government is perfect. No government can save us. But we also recognize that sometimes those in authority can be wrong and can abuse their authority. Lord, may we not be the ones who are guilty of injustice. And may we also be willing to speak up against injustices. Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to have the spirit of Christ 
to follow the example of Paul. Lord, not simply to be political zealots, but to be advocates of divine justice and truth. And Father, I pray and ask that you would help us to make our community, our county, our country better and not worse. And help us, Lord, to live as citizens of heaven until Jesus comes back. I pray in his name. Amen.